all say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I guess it would temper his enthusiasm if he tried to use it, wouldn't it? Uh, so last week we read Colossians 3 and we talked about how creeds and confessions, these documents from the past, can help us think about our witness to life today. And in particular, we looked at the Belhar Confession, which we're looking at this month, at Article 1 and 5, about how we're called to stand for certain things and how we believe that the church is what God has gathered together and who God protects and cares for throughout time and space. And so today we're going to start looking in particular about some of the stuff that the Confession of Belhar actually teaches from scripture starting with the theme of unity which is found in article two of the belhar confession but first we start uh, with the word of god because confessions are a summary of scripture teachings and before we do that we're actually going to start with an exercise a thinking exercise and i might be so bold as to tell you you might want to write your answer down because we're going to come back to it later And not that I think you're going to forget, but that I think that it helps us to see the words that we're thinking about as we work through this call from Christ. So when we think about unity, I want you to think about who you have disunity with. So I want you to finish this thought. I find it difficult to be in fellowship with Christians who... Dot, dot, dot. What kind of Christian do you find it difficult to be in fellowship with? And if you need to think about it in another way, another way you can think of it, I find it hardest to love Christians who... So some of our answers might be things like uh, people who say they're Christian but don't really act like it. People who don't believe in baptism the same way that I do. People who don't think that we should advocate for uh, the marginalized, the poor, and the suffering in our community. Uh, People who think that just war and fighting and killing in the name of God is okay. These are some kinds of people you might find it difficult to be in fellowship with. That's right. That's right. Sometimes it's all of those people I just listed. All right. So does everybody have ready to move on? Okay. So let's read together from Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to hear Paul talking to a church of people who, if they were to ask the question, answer that thought... I find it difficult to be in fellowship with Christians who the Jewish converts to following Christ would say the uncircumcised Gentiles. And if the Gentiles in their midst who had come to faith in Christ would say those who are demanding I be circumcised. Okay, so let's hear then what Paul teaches them. And if you're using the Green Bibles, it's on page 148 in the second page numbers, second set of page numbers, the New Testament, Ephesians 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 11. 
So then, remember that you, and all of the yous in this passage are plural, okay? So keep that in mind. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who called the circumcision a physical circumcision made by human made in the flesh by human hands remember that you were at that time without christ being aliens from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to god and in one body through the cross thus putting to death that hostility through it so he came and proclaimed peace to those who were near who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the father So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning and think about this a little bit. So Paul is trying to teach them something. And he first starts in a way that we might think is a little insensitive. He's trying to make sure that people know the Gentiles belong. And he starts with this whole thing about how they don't belong or didn't belong and the separations that exist between them. But notice how he does it. He says, there's something that you cannot change about yourself. You are Gentiles by birth. That's your ethnicity. That's who you are. But there's this other thing that has come to be the divider in this place. The dividing wall, the source of the hostility in their community which was whether or not they were circumcised. So you'll remember that circumcision is the mark that the Jewish people, the the Israelites, the Hebrews, they practiced because God told them to, to mark themselves as the community of God, as the people of God, as the people in covenant with God who received his promise, as the people of hope, all of these ways that Paul is describing the Gentiles as being outside. And so after Christ... And all of these people who did not, who, who came to believe in Jesus, came to faith, the Jewish converts among them still wanted this piece of their core identity to continue, right? I mean, come on, to be marked as part of the hope of the world, to be marked as one who has received the covenant promises of God, to be marked as God's chosen one. 
I could see how they would want to cling to this physical identity marker that they could do, right? So Paul says to the Gentiles, yeah, now you're known as the uncircumcised by those who are circumcised. There's been this separation that's put up between you. And there's this demand to do something that humans do in response to the call of God, right? So it's not all bad. But now in Christ, a new way has come that is for you and for those who are demanding this of you. So yeah, before this used to mark that you did not belong. Before this used to mark that we were separated from you. Before this used to mark that you did not know God and his goodness. But now, through Christ Jesus, all of you have been brought into one, into a place of peace. And any identity and hostility that is between us, Christ on the cross has brought an end to. So yeah, there are things about you that you cannot change, such as your ethnicity. But in Christ, we are made one new humanity. It is the work of Christ to bring peace to this community. And in particular, to understand this image of what Christ does, I have blocks. Hopefully we can do this okay. Uh, I'm not a builder, and also building practices have changed. We don't have a lot of stone buildings around anymore. But what Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, two people groups who are different from one another are made part of one new whole thing. Based on what we learned in the prophets from the apostles, the people who walked and lived with Jesus, they, they, they build this foundation of the house of the message of God. And then Jesus himself comes to bring peace, to bring those who are far off and those who are near together into one thing as the cornerstone. And cornerstones, so that's the blue one, from this angle looks like it belongs to this wall. From that angle looks like it belongs to this wall. That not one wall gets to, do, to say that Jesus is their Jesus at the cost of the other wall. That together they become a whole, right? United. They still stay different. They're still red and green. But with Jesus as the cornerstone, they become the corner. And so Jesus says, through the work of the cross, I have broken down the walls that you have set up to divide you. And instead, I have made you the wall. I have made you as a people the boundary of the dwelling place of God, both physically and spiritually. Whereas before, you wanted to say that here's, here's the wall of God's presence the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And what Jesus has done is he said, nope. You together, how 
dwells the fullness of God. You together witness to my presence on earth. We make peace in our differences through the cornerstone that is Jesus. So that if I'm this wall and I'm looking this way and I know I got to go that way, right, to look at and talk with and be part of in communion with somebody on this side, I do it through the cornerstone, the thing that connects us, which is Jesus. So that instead of saying, well, this is what separates us and makes us different, we see who brings us together and makes peace. So here's the thing. Uh, We read a scriptural example. I want to tell you now a real-life example that comes from the Christian Reformed Church. About seven or eight years ago, uh, a church asked for help because they had a ministry that was running for migrant farm workers in western Michigan, many of whom are undocumented, which means they are not in the country according to the governments legally. And the question that the church had is, can we welcome into communion, into church membership, people who seem to be living in perpetual sin by breaking the law of the land? How do we live in fellowship with those who are here illegally? And just so you know, it's estimated that there's two to 300,000 illegal people in Canada as well. So the question went to the church, and then it went to the classes, and then it went all the way to the synod. And through a study of scripture, of what it means to welcome the stranger, through a study of what it means to be subjected to the government as well, and to follow the laws of the land, of what it means to see and view one another through the cornerstone that is Jesus. This is what the Christian Reformed Church said. We believe that the government is called to protect our borders and to do what it thinks is right for the safety of the nation. But membership in the church of Jesus Christ is based on faith alone. Membership in the church of Jesus Christ is based on faith alone. And that we should advocate for more people to policy change as well as action on the part of individuals for more to come and be legal. So to find ways to ease document requirements and stand with the stranger in our midst. That membership in the church of Jesus Christ is based on faith alone. It is this same idea that we find in the Belhar Confession in Article 2. If you want to pull that out. The same calling to understand that for the church, which is different than the nation, our identity is found in Christ alone. So I'm going to invite you to join me in just reading that first sentence that we believe on Article 2 in the Belhar Confession that you find in front of you. 
So let's say together. We believe in one holy, universal Christian church, the communion of saints called from the entire human family. And what does that look like? Well, first of all, I'll I'll work through these now. We believe that Christ's work of reconciliation is made manifest in the church as the community of believers who have been reconciled with God and with one another. So we believe that those who are different from one another have been reconciled through Christ, just as we ourselves have been reconciled through Christ to God. So we believe that walls that we have put up to separate and define us against other people is not the way that God would have us act with one another, but instead that God would have us see ourselves as one family, united in faith through the making of peace of Christ by his spirit. And that unity, therefore, is both a gift to us and an obligation for the church of Jesus Christ. That through the working of God's spirit, it is a binding force, yet simultaneously a reality which must be earnestly pursued and sought. One which the people of God must be continually, must continually be built up to attain. So just notice how we're built on the cornerstone that is Jesus, right? And the wall gets higher. We built, we are built up on this practice of unity with one another. And that it is a gift as well as an obligation, which is what we hear and what the church decided, right? That we advocate, that's obligation. We advocate and stand with people who are in need and who need help. And it is a gift to recognize Raise a show of hands in this room who's an immigrant. We are gifts. We are gifts to one another. And also, who here has roots as their family, where they come from, generationally as immigrants? That should be everybody's hands except for maybe Tal. Right? We are all immigrants. We are all people who are the result of migration. The people of God are a migrating people in scripture, right? So we are obligated to remind ourselves that the boundaries that are placed nationally are not the same boundaries that the church recognizes for itself. We, number three, believe that this unity must become visible so that the world may believe that separation, enmity, and hatred between people and groups is sin, which Christ has already conquered. And accordingly, anything which threatens this unity may have no place in the church and must be resisted. Because Jesus himself prayed to the Father before going to the cross that we, his people, would be one as he and the Father are one. And he and the Father are so united with one another that this isn't just a, I'm okay if I don't talk to you till heaven, love. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? I can can say you're a Christian, but I don't want to be in fellowship with you and your kind until we're all redeemed perfectly but the kind of sacrificial love that leads him to the cross is the unity that he's describing there. And to settle, to settle for less is sinful. 
because we image our diverse, unified God in the way we do this together. So this next point, I want you to take your mind back to the person you thought of or the type of person you thought of as a Christian who I have a difficulty being in fellowship with. And I want you to listen to this next section. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you a few minutes because I want you to list two or three things that you can do with that person based on what we read here. So we believe that this unity of the people of God must be manifested and be active in a variety of ways. And that we love one another. That we experience, practice, and pursue community with one another. That we are obligated to give ourselves willingly and joyfully to be of benefit and blessing to one another. That we share one faith, have one calling, are of one soul and one mind. Have one God and Father, are filled with one spirit, are baptized with one baptism, eat of one bread and drink of one cup, confess one name, our obedience to one Lord, work for one cause and share one hope. Together come to know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of Christ. Together are built up to the stature of Christ, to the new humanity. Together know and bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ, that we need one another and upbuild one another, admonishing and comforting one another, that we suffer with one another for the sake of righteousness. Pray together. Together serve God in this world. And together fight against all which may threaten or hinder this unity. That's all the scripture rolled in there in one. So thinking about the person or the type of person that you thought of at the beginning, go back now. And choose two or three of those things that you think you could actually try to do with them.
and we continue. That we believe that this unity can be established only in freedom and not under constraint. That the variety of spiritual gifts, opportunities, backgrounds, convictions, as well as the various languages and cultures are by virtue of the reconciliation in Christ, opportunities for mutual service and enrichment within the one visible people of God. So now I want you to take a minute and I want you to think about something good about the person or kind of person that you identified as you having a difficult time being in fellowship with. What is something good or an opportunity for service that they give to you? So this is something you can keep doing on your own, by the way. It doesn't have to stay here. And finally, we or a couple more good points here. We believe that this unity can be only established in freedom and not under constraint. That the oh, I read that one, didn't I? Thanks. That true faith in Jesus Christ is the only condition for membership of this church. Can we say amen? So therefore, we reject any doctrine. And this we see in particular and can hear and know the confession and where it comes from. We reject any doctrine which absolutizes either natural diversity or the sinful separation of people in such a way that this absolutation hinders or breaks the visible and active unity of the church or even leads to the establishment of a separate church formation. So in South Africa, remember, the black and the white church were separate from one another because the law required them to be based on ethnicity. And in Ephesus and many other early churches, it was a human decision about circumcised versus uncircumcised that was the dividing and the separating of communities. And we know through the teaching of Paul from, from Ephesians and lots of other scripture passages that such division is not the will of of God. So we reject any doctrine which professes that the spiritual unity is truly maintained in the bond of peace while believers of the same confession are in effect alienated from one another for the sake of diversity and in despair of reconciliation. So we reject this idea that we can be separate yet equal and united. We reject that idea that we can actually love one another without being with one another we reject the any doctrine which denies that a refusal earnestly to pursue this visible unity as a priceless gift is sin so if, if somebody says well that doesn't really matter we say nope it does matter to god and therefore it matters to us and we reject any doctrine which explicitly or implicitly maintains that dissent or any other human or social factor should be a consideration in determining membership of the church. Because true membership in the church is measured solely by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's Article 2, teaching us about unity and confession. 
And what we've been doing this morning has been about reminding us about the breadth of the church that we are unified with, which is the work of God who is building his church, caring and protecting, sustaining us in his truth. And so we're going to stand together now and we're going to say uh, what we believe to be that work of God from the canons of Dort. So this plan is about the work of salvation that God does. So let's say together, this plan arising out of God's eternal love for the elect from the beginning of the world to the present time has been carefully out and will also be carried out in the future. The gates of hell seeking vainly to prevail against it. As a result, The elect are gathered into one, all in their own time, and there is always a church of believers founded on Christ's blood, a church which steadfastly loves, persistently worships, and here and in all eternity praises him as her Savior, who laid down his life for her on the cross as a bridegroom for his bride. We turn now to understanding what this means for how we live. So this assurance of perseverance, however, so far from making the true believers proud and carnally self-assured, is rather the root of humility, of childlike respect, of genuine godliness, of endurance in every conflict, of fervent prayers, of steadfastness and cross-bearing, and in confessing the truth of a well-founded joy in God. Reflecting on this benefit provides an incentive to a serious and continual practice of thanksgiving and good works, as is evident from the testimonies of Scripture and the examples of the saints. I just love this idea that the things that we have made walls to divide us, that God himself has knocked out, right, has wrecked them, and has instead made us to be the wall, has made us to understand that we are people who mark the presence of God in the world with one another, both physically and spiritually, and that that wall of strength is made in service to one another, is made in love and peace with one another, is made through fervent prayers and standing with one another, and it is the way that God is preserving the church against the rage of the world. To welcome more people into its midst instead of worrying about who's on what side of what. And to understand the breadth and the heights and the depths of God and his love. So God bless you and keep you. God turn his face towards you and give you his peace. God shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen.